Welcome to another edition of the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga from Cleveland.com, and I'm joined, as always, by our tribe beat writer, Paul Hoynes. Paul, good to hear from you again. Hey, Joe. Good to see you. Well, uh, let's jump right into the, uh, the, the big question, sort of the big news of the, the moment is what's going to happen on Friday or sometime this weekend when Brandon Geyer is ready to come off the DL and eventually when Tyler Naquin's able to come off the DL. But, uh, you know, first and foremost, there's a decision that's going to have to be made about either a veteran player or somebody like Greg Allen in the outfield. Right. Uh, yeah, definitely, Joe. I mean, uh, I, it's, it's going to be an interesting uh, decision. You know, they've got uh, Geyer coming back supposedly on Friday. Um, you know, you've got Greg Allen with options who's played very well. And obviously, uh, you know, kind of gained ground on Bradley Zimmer, who was sent down earlier in the week. And uh, you've got a couple veterans sitting there, uh, Melky Cabrera and uh, Raja Davis. And, uh, you know, that are both on one year kind of uh, deals. So it's, it's, uh, you know, you, you wonder which way they're going to go. You know, I, I really think uh, Raja probably helped himself and, and showed what he has to offer in uh, Wednesday's uh, 3-1 win when he stole three bases, got a couple hits, scored a run. You know, I think uh, Francona likes that element of speed even though, you know, we haven't seen a lot of Raja, you know, and he struggled at the plate. Cabrera gives him a switch hitter, you know, kind of a, you know, right now with Lonnie Chisinau coming back earlier in the week, another outfielder. You know, I think he's lost some – obviously he's lost some playing time in right field, but, you know, I think uh, he's, he's attractive as well because he's a switch hitter, and now he, and he gives uh, Francona a veteran pinch hitter. So it, it's going to be – it, it's it's going to be intriguing to see which way they go with this. Well, and let's lay out the uh, let's lay out the contract situation as well. Uh, uh, Geyer is owed just a little less than three million this year, and I think he's under contract next year for three million as well. I think um, he's got an option. It's an option. Got, it's it's a team option or a yeah uh, yeah club option. Club option for three. So uh, you know he's he's at least making close to three million this year. Uh, Davis is one point like seven, five million. And I think Cabrera is 1 million uh, on their, their one year deals. Uh, And like you said, Greg Allen has options remaining. Uh, So how, how much would that factor in just the, the, you know, not, not being willing to eat, uh, you know, a lot of contract and money. If, if you don't have to, if you send Greg Allen down, you don't have to, you know, sort of eat that money that uh, between, uh, Alan, or Cabrera and Davis. Yeah, I think even for this uh, this uh, front office, this ownership, I don't think you know what what Davis and and Cabrera are making is nothing. That that's that's chump change in the big leagues. I don't think that would prevent them from making a decision from dropping one of those guys. Now, you know, Geyer. You know, I think that would be a little more significant. I think uh, you know, and we and they signed him for a reason. They signed him to a multi year deal for a reason. They haven't seen the best out of him for the last two years because of injuries. So I'm, I'm willing to bet they give him another chance, get, let him hit against some lefties. That's what he's good at. Uh, and, you know, they need somebody to – they need a pure center fielder. And, you know, I don't think Rajay can play every day right now. I, I'm not, I, I mean, he could. You could stick him out there. But I don't think you're going to get the production that you get out of Allen defensively. So it, it's, it's really going to be a tough call for these guys. 
Were you surprised when they sent uh, Bradley Zimmer back out uh, when when they activated Lonnie Chisholm this week? You know, I I was a little bit, but uh, you know, I think you pointed out to me that you know the guy had struck out over forty percent of the time. You know, and even in this day and age when everybody strikes out, it seems forty percent of the time. That's a lot, you know, and and I think you know he kind of looked lost at the plate to me. The big thing with Zimmer is you know you get you get a plus defense from him. You know, he's got great arm, great, great speed in the outfield. You know, he covers a lot of, he covers a lot of territory and he's got great speed on the bases, but if he doesn't get on base, he's not helping you, you know, at that, at that part of the game. So, you know, I think Allen came on and, and, you know, just, he, he didn't break down any doors, but I think he did show, you know, the element of, of being a halfway decent, uh, a productive offensive player, and he still gives you good, good defense. So uh, I think that's – and I think they mainly want to get Zimmer straightened out, you know. Right. Get, get him down there, start start changing, some, making some adjustments with the swing so he can make more contact and and come up because he's got half the game. Now, now he's just got to – you know, he's just got to be – you know, work on his offense, but defensively and base running, you know, he's a force. Well, and we saw over the weekend, you know, he laid out, made a Superman catch in the outfield that saved a run uh, in Minnesota, but then something that Terry Francona said uh, really did sort of stick out. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're striking out as much uh, as somebody like Zimmer is doing, then when you make contact, you better be doing some damage. And I guess that's, that's another thing that uh, Francona sort of pointed out was, yeah, a forty percent strikeout rate, but then when you do make make contact, you're getting singles here and there instead of knocking the ball out of the park. He can live with uh, Yonder Alonso and and Edwin Encarnacion hitting the ball, uh, you know, making a little less contact because when they do hit the ball, they're they're driving it. Uh, yeah. So uh, you know, and, and just briefly want to touch on Ed, Edwin Encarnacion uh, sort of heating up in this. Uh, in this early part of June, late part of May, uh, player of the week last week, uh, you know, really sort of driving the ball to, to right field. And when, when Edwin's going good, that's when you see that happening. Uh, just, uh, you know, just your thoughts on Edwin, uh, and, and his hot streak lately. Yeah. I, I think it's, uh, you know, Frank Koenig kept saying it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And it's happening right in front of our eyes. I think when the weather got warm, uh, I think uh, Edwin warmed up. You wouldn't. It's still kind of cool here. The last couple of days, it's felt like September. But uh, you know, Incarnacion is 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 doing what he did last year. He's following the same kind of path. I think he's being he's more productive than he was at this point of last year. And I think going to Minnesota really got him going. He he loves to hit there. Uh, you know, Mike Napoli was the same way, you know, big right-handed hitters. They love to hit at that park for some reason. I think they aim for the third deck in left field, <laughs> and uh, they've hit it a couple times. So whatever it is, you know, that, that target field, everyone used to complain when uh, it first opened that you couldn't hit home runs there. But it certainly doesn't seem to bother Edwin. And, and Carlos Santana was the same way when he went up there. He, he loved that. Place. Right, Edwin coming off a, an eleven-game hitting streak, and and he now owns the the all-time record for visiting players uh, at Target Field for home runs. I think he's got fifteen or sixteen, something like that. But 
All right, moving on, uh, Paul, you had a piece uh, just uh, looking at the, uh, the bullpen, the embattled bullpen, as we'll, uh, we'll always refer to it now. Uh, and, and the job that Neil Ramirez has been able to come in and do the last couple of games, uh, still waiting on Andrew Miller uh, to, to recover and come off the DL. But uh, it, for as bad as, as May was, uh, you maybe sort of start to see a couple of threads, a couple of silver linings here with the, with the performance so far in June? Yeah, I'd say it's threads. I wouldn't say a silver lining yet, Joe. <laughs> just very, very thin threads. Uh, you know, <laughs> I just, you know, it just, it, it kind of points out just the sheer uh, scramble that these guys are in. It's a scramble mode they've operated in. You know, Otero and, and McAllister, you know, have kind of been, you know, <laughs> pushed to the back end of the bullpen. You know, now we're seeing a whole different set of setup guys, Ramirez and and uh, Oliver Perez. Um, you know, uh, Olsen has struggled. Uh, you know, it, it's just – it's it, you know, like, what have they had, 15 different relievers so far this year? And they had and, 12 all of last year. Yeah, and it just it's just crazy. It's – you know, and, and I just think it's – it shows you the extent or maybe the desperation that Francona, where, what, what he feels that – He's willing to give anybody who gets one out in the seventh inning. He's willing to give them, run them back out there, just to uh, because no one else has has given them a consistent performance. And and even Cody uh, Cody Allen is, you know, I think you know having to uh, you know going to coming to the ballpark each day, knowing you might have to you know get four or five outs for a save. You know that, that can't be settling for a closer in, in this day and age. It's not like. You know, he, he's Doug Jones, who used to do that with regularity, you know, 10, 20, you know, 25 years ago. I mean, you know, closers are supposed to pitch in the first – at one inning, get a – or one inning or less, and, and get a save. And, and uh, right now he's being asked to do a lot. And I think that, you know, I, you know, I wonder if that's going to catch up to him in the second half. And and we talk about uh, Francona's use of the starting rotation as well. They're They're averaging – about six to eight more pitches per, and it might not sound like a lot, but the, he's he's leaving them in. We saw evidence of that uh, in Clevenger's last start over the weekend, where they left him in to get one batter, and that one batter, you know, tied the game on him. It it uh, it, it ends up taxing not just your, your the back end of your bullpen and those guys, but also your starters as well. You know, is there any fear that? these these starters might burn out by the end of the year just by extending them even this little bit now. Yeah, I'm sure there is. I'm sure there is, Joe. And I would not be surprised if we see, you know, Adam Pluto and – well, they've got to add a fifth starter, right? Right. Pluto or, or uh, who's the other kid? Uh, Shane Beaver. Uh, Beaver. Shane yeah. Beaver. So, so they could uh, – you know, they have to add a fifth starter pretty soon here. But, you know, I would think uh, if, if they keep – you know, putting the stress on uh, if these if the starters keep throwing, you know, 100 to 110, 112 pitches a game like they, like they have been. It seems like they have been. Um, you know, I would think they, they try to intersperse some guys with spot starts, you know, try to give them as many extra days rest as they can, because they know they know what they could could happen. You know, Kyle Willis and and, and Francona have been around. I mean, the front office is, is experienced. 
they know, uh, you know, what they're doing right now. They're, they're kind of playing with dynamite right now. And they know it, it, what the, whatever they get at the front end of the season can, can come back and kick them in the rear end and in the back end. So, uh, you know, they've got to be careful. And I think they're trying to uh, – they're playing a danger – you know, they're playing a delicate game, a balancing game, trying to win as many games as they can without taxing the rotation and trying – trying desperately to find somebody in the bullpen that can pitch in the seventh and eighth inning. Well, and, and you look at the, the rotation, the starting rotation has done the job there. The number of quality starts, I think uh, consecutive quality starts is, is, you know, super high. It's like in the, the uh, uh, Kluber has, has, has had a quality start in every outing this year. Yeah, 13 straight, straight quality straight. starts. Uh, and, and the offense is is doing what it needs to do. The the top you know four or five guys uh, in the order are elite right now in the league in terms of their production. Uh, you almost feel like a sense of like you're you're wasting some of this just by having one sort of leg of the three legged stool uh, you know shorter with this bullpen you know not coming through with these guys. Yeah, you know I I couldn't agree more. And you know you never get you rarely get. All three, you know, offense, defense, uh, pitching, starting pitching and bullpen and relief pitching all pulling in the same direction at the same time. When you do, you win 102 games like the Indians <laughs> did last year. So, uh, you know, I, I would think they're going to struggle to do that this year. And they knew that coming in. They knew this was not going to be a perfect club, far from perfect club. And, you know, as we've said so many times before, they're so fortunate to be playing in a division where, you know, no one else seems capable of making a big move to take to to really challenge them. You know, we saw the Twins take three out of four from them over last weekend. You, could, you did a good job, a great job covering that series. But it, it's still, you know, the Indians are still, what, two, two and a half up, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, so – I think, you know, they, they kind of hedged their bet this, this year. They, they knew something coming in that the division was rebuilding and they could try, try to make this up on the fly. And, you know, I hope they do it because, like you said, you, you've got to you – know, you can't <laughs> – if you're going to be successful, I mean, maybe you can, you, you, you can win the division like this with mm-hmm. three, you know, with, with three parts pulling against one part, you know. But if, if – if you, when you get to the postseason, you can't you can't have a flaw. If you have a flaw in the postseason, it's going to get exposed, and you're going to go home before you're supposed to. Uh, really quickly, you touched on uh, the fifth starter situation, and boy, how nice was it for uh, Terry Francona on Saturday night when uh, you know the Indians went back to their hotel room uh, after losing to Minnesota uh, to get the text to find out that um, Adam Plitko had, had tossed a no hitter in Syracuse for for Columbus. Uh, now, uh, now Shane Bieber's got to go out and throw in a, a perfect game to, to, to <laughs> yeah, one up him to get that's that. All do. That's, that's all those two guys do, right? No hitters or perfect games or they flirt with perfect games or like uh, Plutko was what he had a perfect game going or a no hitter. And, and they took him out before, because he'd reached a pitch count and he was mm-hmm. coming up to Cleveland. So, you know, that, that's amazing. That's uh, you know, I, God, I, I can't read, you know, uh, it's you know it's got to make uh, the, the organization feel so good, and uh, you got those you know quality arms like that in the pipeline, and uh, so you know you kind of get to you know flip a coin or mix and match 
you've got the best of both worlds. You got a great rotation in the big leagues, and you got two 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 uh, kind of starters that are are uh, you know pitching great in 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 Triple A. Well, and that's one of the things that uh, Terry mentioned after uh, the game or before the game on Sunday, after hearing about this Saturday night. Uh, he said, you know, there's a lot of guys in the de- the player development side for the Indians who are walking around with their chest puffed out, you know, this weekend because because they've seen it, it was very rapid succession there that that Plutko sort of had this rise and that Bieber was able to come up. These guys have not only done it at the AAA level where they're dominating this year, but they've both had a taste in the major leagues and they've both been incredibly successful. Uh, you know, Bieber might not have won the game that he started on Thursday, but for four innings, he was dominant. Yeah. And then, you know, so that's, and then, and Plutko is what, three and all? I mean, mm-hmm. he didn't pitch great against the White Sox, but, you know, he, he did a five and fly and, and did enough to win. And, uh, you know, that's all you're looking for from a fifth starter, which is probably his, his role right now. So, you know, it's, it's, it's got to be really a good feeling. And if they could just find somebody <laughs> to, <laughs> to plug the hole in the bullpen or two, one or two guys, I don't think one guy is going to do it, but they, they need some consistency out of, their, out of their relievers. I thought it was interesting that uh, when, when Frank Cona was talking uh, about after, uh, after Wednesday's win that, He's not going to run away from Otero and and McAllister. He's and you know the and and Olson. He's going to keep pitching everybody down there, uh, and so. <laughs> but so the, I, you the know, fans so, might the fans might want him to run away yeah, from those guys, but but the opportunity is going to be there. Those guys, if they're healthy, you know, they're, they're going to get a chance, and you know, and maybe you know. <laughs> You know, since they got out of May and that was such a dreadful month, maybe they could just take a deep breath and and you know, all it takes probably is to get one or two guys out in a row and and you kind of you get your confidence back. Uh, so hopefully that happens with Otero, McAllister, Olson. You know, they they need them. They they're, they're not going to go very far without them. Well, maybe six games against the uh, White Sox and uh, Tigers coming up. Uh, we'll, we'll get those guys back on track. A couple of. Uh good appearances out of the bullpen for those, uh, those three that you mentioned. Uh, let's, uh, let's take a couple of questions. Uh, uh, we, we fielded from, uh, from Twitter and from the folks out there. Uh, you got a, a list in front of you. Go ahead and jump in with a, a few of those. Okay. This is from uh, Dennis Quigley. Why are the, this and referring to the draft, just, uh, just uh, the draft that finished uh, yes, uh, Wednesday. Uh, why are the Indians picking so low? Second from the bottom. Just below uh, the Dodgers in Houston, and uh, well, Dennis, <laughs> Dennis, you know, it, the draft is the, the draft order is based on the standings from last year, and uh, uh, the the Indians won 102 games last year, so they go in reverse order. That's why Detroit and San Francisco had the two worst records in baseball last year. They drafted one and two, and the Indians were drafted near the bottom because they had one of the best records. And, I mean, uh, that, that's why. There's no conspiracy here against the Tribe. Right, and they did have uh, a couple of compensatory picks as well for, uh, you know, losing Carlos Santana. They got a, a pick uh, sort of sandwiched in between the first and second round there. They actually drafted four – they had four picks in the first 67. Uh, so the first night they, they made four picks. And, and you know, that's, that's big for, uh, for a guy like Scott Barnsby who's running his first draft. Uh, you know, it's not his first – certainly not his first rodeo, but first time being in charge. And, 
and he's got four picks in the first 67. If Hell, if you were the Browns, you could build a, a contender, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, they, he was really excited about that. I think the, all the scouts were as well, especially after not having a number one pick last year. You know, uh, they lost uh, for uh, t- uh, draft, uh, you know, signing Edwin Encarnacion from Toronto in, uh, in the previous uh, December, the previous offseason. Right. So, you know, they, they did, uh, you know, who knows what, you know, who knows how these guys will turn out that they took. But, uh, you know, I know they thought they, uh, they did okay. They were, they were very positive uh, about the, the, the four guys they took on the first night of the draft. Uh, uh, go ahead. Got another one here. Uh, this is from Jim Corrigan uh, from Fairview Park, and he's he's kind of he's being a little humorous here. And uh, we've got to set the scene here. Well, well let's just go here. Uh, he goes, uh, "Hey, you guys, have you ever heard Tom Hamilton, the Indians, uh, the voice of the Indians, mistakenly say swinging a midge?" And uh, I think that was in reference to the game two nights ago, where the where the midges returned to uh, to a progressive field. The bugs that that you know kind of annually swarm the players during games, players and fans. So but I've never heard them say that. That's that's pretty good turn of the turn of a phrase, though, Jim. Yeah. Well, we hate them when they show up and they bother us, but uh, when they show up and help us, like Jabba Chamberlain back in uh, two thousand seven, you know that's. Uh... Uh, they're not entirely a bad thing. I think the uh, the funniest thing uh, we heard about the midges was in the post game, where uh, Terry Francona uh, mentioned that they, they they particularly are attracted to the uh, as uh, I want to quote him exactly. He said, "quote uh, the greasy skinned Italians uh, such as himself in the in the dugout." Uh, the uh, the midges have a, an affinity for them, so. Yeah, they're uh, they're back. They're all over the windows in the press box, and uh, they're they're no fun. Yeah, I remember that uh, that game with Java Chamberlain and, and the Yankees. I remember the, the all the the whole Yankee infield came. You know, they, during a timeout, they they came onto the mound and they were all exchanging bug spray. You know, spraying all, and it never worked. I mean, they were all the midget just swarmed them, and uh, Fausto Carmona. Uh, A.K.A. Roberto Hernandez wasn't even bothered by him. He had them all dead midges all over his face, and he just kept pitching and kept getting the Yankees out. That was that was a game to remember. Well, Tuesday was Lonnie Chisholm's first game back uh, with the team, and uh, he he said, "Yeah, now I don't have to eat uh, eat the post game meal because he got a couple of mouthfuls of them as he was yeah. running out there to right field." Okay, uh, I've got a question here from uh, Let's see. Tom Rackhorst from Geneva. He, uh, in the, he, uh, referring to one of the games against the Brewers, uh, I guess uh, the Tuesday night game. Um, he goes, uh, Lorenzo Kane is using a bat with a large chunk out of the end. Is that legal? Uh, he used the bat to single up the middle. Uh, yeah, I mean, a cup bat is legal uh, as long as it you know fits the standards and fits uh you know the 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 inspection of the bat but a lot of guys use you know um cup bats that's what they're called with you know kind of a chunk of wood scooped out of the 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 top of the bat right and that's and that's basically for it's that you have the the same mass and the same size of the bat you just reduce the weight by a little bit and and that sort of helps them the other thing it does is if you hit a ball off the end of that, it can splinter the bat uh, a little easier. So, you know, that's, that's another thing that guys have to take into account. 
Okay, and uh, let's see. This is from uh, Bob Ernest from Mansfield. Uh, he was referring to uh, uh, Jesus Aguilar uh, returning to Mil uh, returning to uh, Cleveland for the first time with Milwaukee. And uh, you know, I talked to Jesus, and he was, you know, he kind of was, you know, he he thanked the Indians for making him mentally tougher, you know, by <laughs> by really not giving him the opportunity he thought he deserved. But, he, you know, he thought it really helped him, and it helped him make an impact with the Brewers the last two years. And But er, Bob Ernest said, you know, of the Indians, you know, letting uh, letting um, letting uh, uh, Aguilar go or put him on waivers and then watching the Bre uh, Brewers claim him, he goes, this is very typical of the Indians. They always go for the older player and hope, hope to strike gold. The younger player gets very little time to prove himself. Odds. Uh, yeah. So, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think Terry Francona freely admitted. He said, he's, "He said, I, I, we never gave him a chance." And he said, "That's on me. That's, uh, it's sort of his mode of operation." But, but look, they signed Edwin Encarnacion. Uh, I mean, yeah, and that, Napoli that, before him, Napoli before yeah. that, and and you had you had Carlos Santana there at first base, and he wasn't going anywhere. So, right. where where are you going to put Jesus Aguilar in that situation? I. I I, I get that, you know, he sort of felt like he, he didn't have a, a way to break through. But, you know, when those guys hey, – he, he, tell it to any shortstop in the Indians organization right now. It's the <laughs> same know, Doc, song they're singing. That's great, yeah. And, uh, you know, Doc Edwards always had a uh, – uh, he, he managed the Indians when I first started covering them. And he – you know, he, when, when a situation went like this was brought up, you know, because there's always players – there's players blocked in every organization. And unfortunately, that's what happened to Jesus here. But, you know, give him credit. He went somewhere else and, and showed he could hit. You know, with the few at-bats he got here, we, we never saw if he could hit. He, he hit throughout the minors for the Tribe, but we, we never saw it translate into the big leagues. And, you know, Doc Edwards used to say um, when, when a situation like this would come up, he goes, just think for a minute. How many how many center fielders do you think uh, Mickey Mantle sent home with the Yankees? And you, know, <laughs> you get a great player in front of you, you're 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 done. You're, you're, you either change positions or you, you ask for a trade. Or you know, back then you had to just kind of suck it up because of what, there wasn't you know the, the, there was yeah, a reserve clause yeah, and you belonged to the organization forever. Oh, that's great. All right. Well, uh, great batch of questions there, and, and we'll always take uh, take submissions from uh, from the folks who, who listen along. Uh, just really quickly, we touched on the draft briefly there, but uh, I wanted to mention, um, you know, just to get your thoughts, they took in the uh, first round the 29th player overall, Noah Naylor, a, uh, a catcher from St. Joan of Arc High School, uh, 6'1", 195, left-handed hitter, and I guess, um, I, I guess, as as far as hitting goes, he's he's probably one, probably one of the elite hitters in the the first round in the in the draft class. Uh, it, that that's what he projects at. Um, you know, your thoughts on on taking a catcher? <laughs> Boy, this organization's got uh, some pretty good catching talent at the at the upper levels of the the minors and in on the major league staff. But uh, you know, this guy's going to be starting out uh, probably in extended spring or, or or fall. You know, the Arizona fall league stuff like that. Yeah, I, I think it was an interesting pick, uh, you know, just because he's a catcher. You know, the, if you look back in the draft, you know, 
catches going in the first round with the Indians, at least, you know, the, the last guy that, that made a big impact with the Indians was, was Ray Fossey. Wow. And he was, he was the first guy drafted in the first, I mean, he was, that was in 1965, the first year there was a draft. So, you know, that's how far back you got to go. So, and you know, there was a couple other guys, uh, uh, Glass and, and Rick Cerrone, they were drafted in, in the, in the uh, mine in the seventies, uh, but Cerrone, you know, had a great career, but it, he only played 14 games with the Indians and Glass never got above a uh, double A. So, you know, this is, this is an interesting pick and uh, you know, he's got a brother that's, you know, a, you know, a hot prospect with San Diego. Um, and he's he comes from Canada, which makes it also an interesting pick. You know, you don't think about baseball players from coming from Canada, but you know, that's, that's, that's over the years that's changed. Obviously, you know, a lot of good players have come out of Canada and uh, so it's going to be interesting to see where this kid ends up. He, you know, that, you know, um, they think he maybe he could change positions, maybe you know third base, or he's athletic enough to go to third or first, maybe the outfield. But right now they want to keep him at catcher. And and you think about this, Joe. I mean, you know, it takes four to five years for a high school kid to, mm-hmm. to usually develop. You know, and who knows what this team is going to look like then? You know, that's a lifetime in the big leagues. So right. you know, so I mean, you know, Gomes and Perez might be gone. Mejia might be playing in the outfield. Who knows? So. You know, you, you you can't draft. You can't when you go into the amateur draft. I mean, if you got an organizational weakness, fine. But you can't draft go into the, the amateur draft with the big league club in mind because you know these. I mean, unless you draft all college kids and and they're on the fast track and they're here in a year and a half or two years, you know, it doesn't make any difference. Your your big league club could be totally different four to five years from now. Right. Uh, they took 23 pitchers, 16 righties, seven lefties. They took 15 position players, not including catchers. They took four catchers, uh, separate of that, but 15 uh, position players, including eight outfielders and seven infielders. Uh, really mixed and matched the um, the whether they were college or high school, but for the most part, they took uh, you know a lot of college pitchers, 12 right-handed college pitchers. Uh, five left-handed college college pitchers, um, and then you know just varying ages and, and whatnot. Uh, the the number uh, the second pick they made was Ethan Hankins, who's six foot six and uh, you know two hundred some pounds. Had a uh, had a shoulder issue during the season and sort of fell off a little bit, but I guess they're they're banking on the uh, the physical tools still being there in terms of uh, this this big guy who, who throws hard and, you know, gets a lot of strikeouts with a plus fastball. Yeah. They, they were really, uh, they were, they're really excited about this. It's kind of a reach, you know, I think, uh, you know, a lot of uh, draft, uh, you know, the, you know, a lot of dra- guys that do mock drafts had this guy before he got hurt. You know, they talked about him being, being a really a high first round pick, maybe the number one pick in the draft. Right. Uh, and he, you know, like you said, he he hurt his shoulder uh, this this uh, in February, missed four or five weeks. Uh, came back at the end of his high school season, still pitched well. The Indians had their doctors check him out, um, and they they felt you know secure about drafting him. And you know, if they sign him, it's going to probably his slot value is over two million bucks. So uh, you know, it's going to cost them you know a pretty penny to to make this investment in him, but. You know, before he got hurt, he 
you know, he had a great uh, summer season. You know, he pitched for Team USA against won the World Cup uh, last fall. So, uh, you know, he's, he's an exciting guy. I, I'm, I'm anxious to see him, Joe. I think uh, I, I hopefully he's healthy and he stays together because they've got, you know, Brady Aiken was their number one pick, what, 2015. Mm-hmm. He's coming off Tommy John surgery. We have not, you know, he pitched for at Lake County last year, you know, mixed results, but he pitched the whole season. But his velocity's down and he's still in extended spring right now, right. trying to rebuild his arm, kind of rebuild the uh, strength and velocity. So, you know, it's a gamble. It's a gamble with when you take it, it's a gamble when you take any of these guys, but especially if they're coming off an injury. Right. Well, with Hankins, you know, he was a, a uh, verbal commit to Vanderbilt. And obviously the, uh, the, the $2 million slot there might, uh, might change his mind. But anytime we can uh, do damage to our, our, our buddy Jensen Lewis over <laughs> on uh, Fox Sports, you know, he, uh, he said, oh, well, you never know. But uh, I think the uh, signability is, is not going to be a yeah. with him. Yeah, I don't, I don't think uh, these guys would do that. They would use that higher pick on, on uh, Hankins unless they were pretty sure he wanted to turn pro. You know, they did the same thing with uh, a couple of years ago with Justice uh, Sheffield, one of the, the players they traded for uh, Ant- to the Yankees for Andrew Miller. He was committed to Vanderbilt, and he was like a real high pick. One of their – I think he was – 31, 32, 33 player taken, and he, he ended up taking the money and, and turning pro. So I think, uh, you know, these kids can always go back to school, you know, and, and part of the contract, I think, with, they, they sign with, with their big league clubs is that the big league club will pay for their college when and if they retire, if they want to go back in the offseason, although most of them don't have a chance because they're always playing baseball in the offseason or right. training or playing in the Arizona Fall League or something. But you know, I think uh, if if depending on your financial straits as a family, this is an awful lot of money to walk away from. Uh, you're only 22, 23, 24 years old once. So uh, that, that does definitely have a lot to do with it. All right, Paul, well, we're going to wrap it up here. Uh, after taking uh, uh, this weekend, you're heading up to uh, Detroit and then on to Chicago. Uh, we will, you know, Let's see if the Indians can continue this uh, this little bit of momentum here and 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 put a little space between themselves and the uh, the rest of the AL Central this week. Yeah, I think you're right, Joe. I think you know the the the, the their pitching, their starting pitching is good. Their defense is good. Their offense is 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 playing at a high level right now. If they can get if they can find two or three consistent relievers to get the ball to Allen in the ninth inning where he doesn't have to throw two innings every time out. I think, uh, I think this team could, this is a good stretch for him, but who knows? I mean, I felt the same way when they were going into Minneapolis and they lose three out of four. So, you know, you can't, you can't take the TV's teams, uh, the Detroit and Chicago lightly, uh, they're rebuilding, but, uh, you know that that that's if you if you take your eye off the prize, that's when it comes it comes back and hurts you. All right, Paul, keep your eye on the prize this weekend. We'll talk to you next week. All right, buddy.